Kat. And I'm Kurt, and you're listening to Kat and Kurt's TV Review. Welcome to Episode 3, All the Trees Are Luddites. This week we're discussing Season 1, Episode 2 of Doctor Who, The End of the World, and Season 1, Episode 2 of Buffy, The Harvest. As always, we suggest you watch the episodes before you listen to this podcast. Also, if you haven't done so already, you may want to listen to our first podcast to get an idea of our methodology. All right, so we're going to switch it up uh, this time and start with Buffy. Um, I'm going to start again. I wanted to talk about something which uh, I saw coming out in this uh, this second episode. That was really the second half of the the first two parter. Um, <laughs> but uh, it was it's something that reminded me uh, for any listeners out there who maybe Harry Potter fans, um, but don't know John Granger, um, you should definitely check out his website, hogwartsprofessor.com. Uh, he's got a lot of really fantastic Harry Potter scholarship. Um, but the one thing that he talks about in relation to the trio, what, you know, in Harry Potter fandom, we call the trio of Harry, Ron, and Hermione, um, is this idea of what he calls the soul triptych. So the basic concept being that often in sort of mythic literature, you'll get a central trio of characters who exemplify these complementary human faculties. And when they sort of work together um, and function as they're supposed to sort of in their proper order and working as a team, that's sort of exemplifying a person um, working at its highest abilities. Um, so, and the idea being that when they're not working as a group, if one of, if, if one of the wrong ones, uh, starts to take over, or if one of them abandons the group, that's sort of when things are not functioning and falling apart. Um, you know, basically, so you'll have a character who is the body or the desires, um, another character who's the mind or the will, and then a third who's the spirit or the heart, um, who's the, the leading and decision-making uh, faculty. So the, yeah. idea, the idea being that you need all three, but they also need to function um, in their proper way. So the body should answer to the mind, which should answer to the heart. If you look at that from the lens of Christianity, you'll see some sim similarity to you know, the Christian Trinity of, you know, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, if you're looking at it through Jungian psychology, you might see it as the id, ego, and superego. So there's a lot of different ways to look at this. You, you, you know, I'm just going to throw one other one in there, too. There's there's Isaac Asimov's Three Laws of Robotics. I don't know how much that would uh, <laughs> would interplay, but just thinking of things of three that might... Yeah. Might, uh, other, well, I'm <laughs> sure we go. could come up with other three. Well, three as a sort of a numerically significant number yeah i don't um, know how i'll tie that into it but anyway go ahead think Sorry, about I didn't that mean it three is definitely <laughs> threes are definitely important um so you know he gives some you know great examples um going in the order of body mind and spirit um you can look at it as uh dimitri ivan and alyosha karamazov from the brothers karamazov um you know the the, the soldier, the kind of rough, you know, masculine soldier brother, and then the intellectual brother, and then the one who's, 
you know, in seminary trained to be a priest. You know, yeah, they, they yeah. fit their functions very neatly. Um, Gollum, Sam, and Frodo from The Lord of the Rings um, kind of fit into that area. Um, the really fun ones are Bones, Spock, and Kirk from Star Trek. <laughs> huh, uh, yeah. Han, Han Solo, Princess Leia, and Luke from Star yeah. Wars. Huh. Um Obviously from Harry Potter, Ron, Hermione, and Harry. You know, Ron needs his regular meals. Um, he's very fond <laughs> of his being comfortable. You know, he wants to be in his bed and well-fed and um, is very aware of physical things and physical comforts. Hermione, obviously, who fits, you know, the mind and the intellect better than Hermione, and Harry is the heart and the decision-making faculty, the one that they look to to determine right and wrong. Um, and I would like to submit for you, Kurt, and for anybody else um, going in that same order, uh, Xander, Willow, and Buffy as exemplifying this soul triptych. Um, to give some points just to support my thesis um, from this episode, Xander, um, although not, he's like Ron, you know, just because he's the body doesn't mean he's physically brave or strong, but he, you know, he may be not wishing to put himself in physical danger, but he seems that he cannot sit still. He needs to do something. It's sitting in the library doing internet research is not going to cut it for him. He needs yeah. to physically, <laughs> I think John Granger in the chapter that I was looking at, um, calls it like the, that the body is like the cheerleading one he's the one mm. who physically needs to support um and cannot uh he can't stand it if he's not doing that um whereas willow the intellectual um and you know computer savvy you know so she's the one who's going to she doesn't need to support you physically i mean she will if that's what's called for but she's not gonna volunteer to go into the catacombs in the middle of the night she's right. much more comfortable supporting you with her hacking skills and with uh library research from um, the safety of the library from yes. the safety of the library and that's where she is going to contribute um that's where she's yeah. most useful um and then buffy as the leader and the decision maker and um the one who, when it comes down to it, she's the one who's got to make the call and say, you know, everyone else kind of volunteers to help. And she's the one saying, yes, you can come with me or no, this one, this needs to be me, you know. So she's the one that they're going to look to for guidance. Um, and, you know, and if they're all functioning kind of as they should, everyone will kind of have their proper place. Um, mm. And... And I feel like when they're all working as a team and doing their proper jobs, they are going to have uh, success as a group. Yeah. Um, so huh. that, you can you know, tell me what you – and we're, I guess we'll see whether this holds water. But in, in this episode, as I was watching the three of them walk off together, Giles sort of hangs back and watches the three of them, I got a very strong Harry, Ron, Hermione vibe. Um, mm -hmm. which I'm not saying there's any influence because it's interesting that Buffy and the first Harry Potter book came out in the, in the same year, which was 1997. So I don't think there's any suggestion of 
one influencing the other, but that, you know, maybe something in the air that these two, I, I see a similarity and a parallel there. And that's kind of what gave me this idea that they actually do, um, they do compare rather neatly. Yeah. Well, that, yeah, that's very interesting. I've not heard this, um, idea of the soul triptych before tonight. So, um, you know, that's something that I'll have to think about. Obviously, have, knowing what's coming up in this season, or not just the season, but the whole series, um, it, it'll be interesting to look at it because I, I, I think you're right. At this point, that does do a pretty good broad stroke analysis of, of what's happening. And I think it'll be interesting to watch at at where it, where that grouping perhaps breaks down and, and how that affects different things or, or, or when it does work, you know, is it, is it because it's working sort of in the way that, that initially described or do roles right. change, you know, right, as, right. In, in different situations and that kind of thing. So, um, with, without giving any major hints or clues or whatever, that those would definitely be the things I would look for. But I, I think you're right. Um, at least, at least at this initial stage where we are with the harvest, this is, and and this episode is very much about the team coming together to gel. As as you've mm-hmm. pointed out, you know, it's it's not just Buffy. It's it, although to her protestations, which of course she she even says, "No, I'm the Slayer. I'm the one, right. you know, to go out and and kill the vampires. You stay here." Right. She tells to Xander, and that's like you like you noted. That's exactly what Xander can't seem to do, and and he tells her that, <laughs> and what and so he says, "Yeah, I couldn't just stay back." And she says, "I understand. Now go away." Yeah. You know, I, I understand you couldn't just sit back and do nothing. Now sit back and do nothing. And, well, and and Buffy as the heart is you know is emotionally intelligent she mm-hmm. wants to protect him so you know so part of yes. her motivation is get out of here because i'm willing to put myself in danger she's self-sacrificial um she's not willing to take others into danger with her she's more than willing to go in by herself mm. and take try to take care of it by herself and and I think that's right. So if you, if you look at and and I know you know we don't want to necessarily go back too much in, into last week's, but because it is a two parter and, and the story's fluid through you know you know one day. I mean it literally picks up right from where last week's ended. She she leaves to go find Jesse, you know, and Willow, and uh, specifically because. Their potential friends, like you said, she's right. the heart. It's it's the emotional response where you know where last in the previous episode she's she's trying to deny her Slayer heritage. Mm-hmm. Now because it's it's these people who she's personally invested in, or could be, but you know, she, he's she could Jesse's be. a friend or a potential friend potential anyway. Friend. Yeah, you know, and and it's it's this whole idea of. Um, I think you're right that it's that it's the heart that pulls her into it. It's no longer just going out and killing vampires. It's saving people from the right. vampires, right. and that's and that I think is the key. And 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 so, um, right. she's I, not so into she's not so into the idea of being the slayer. She is into the idea of rescuing people. Well, and and she can use the slayer ability to do that. Yeah, and and at this point, I would even put the finer point on it to say people that she cares about because I right, because right. that or you know that's what triggers her. It's not 
even it's not think, an abstract. E- yeah, even thinking again, going, going back to last week, you know, when she identifies a vampire in the club based on his clothing, she's kind of like, oh, there's a vampire and he's with some girl. Oh, right. and then, then she realizes it's Willow. Right, right. And that's, that's suddenly when she cares. So I think it's, you know, it's not just, um, I don't think she's quite to that point yet where it's, you know, oh, it's humanity and I'm saving people from the vampires. It's, right. it's I'm saving no, my no, friends. not humanity in the abstract. She's right. not, she's not thinking or, or, of herself. Or, even a, or yeah. even a specific human, though, who isn't her friend, friend at this point. Yeah. At this point, anyway, I, I I'm not saying she won't get there. She yeah. may or may not. I don't want right. to give anything away. <laughs> but I'm just saying, at this point, she's she's very much concerned about the specific individuals of Xander and Willow and Jesse, mm-hmm. um, yeah. who are these people who could become friends. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do I do want to look at some of their individual characteristics without too much. But I, it, what else did you have to say around Soul Triptych and that kind of stuff before maybe we move on? to specific characters or, or no, no, let's, let's go into, and I'm not suggesting that they're, you know, cardboard cutouts and can only function in those roles and that we're not allowed to have any depth and nuance because that would be extremely dull. Um, (laughs) so I'm not suggesting that, that, you know, they always and only need to adhere to that, um, to that model. So mm-hmm. I'm very happy to talk about them as 3D characters as well. Um, yeah. So let's do that. Um, I, I think, well, and, and we've talked a bit about Buffy, obviously, last week, sort of, sort of her introduction and, and, and what she's feeling and, and definitely comes through again with that sort of lonely superhero idea. You know, Jesse's my responsibility, she says um, to Xander. And, and you know, I'm the one. I'm the slayer. You're not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and, and was it Xander? Yeah, oh, thanks for reminding me. You know, that's... Um, you put me in my place. You know? and, and so um, I think we've covered her fairly well for, for at least at this point. But I definitely want to look at Willow and Xander. Um, and, and maybe let's start with Xander if you don't have any objections. No. Nope. Because cause I think you nailed it right there. I mean, he is totally he wants to help, <laughs> mm-hmm. but but he has that he, he has inadequacy issues. He mm-hmm. he, he he's He's not experienced. He's not particularly smart or knowledgeable, at least not in the way that Willow is. So he, he's kind of, you know, he doesn't have, you know, Buffy's strength or, or dealings with the vampires. And, and he doesn't have Willow's computer skills or research skills or any of this. And so I think that that almost becomes the source of his frustration. He really wants to help out in some way. And so what does he do? He shows up mm-hmm. in the sewer system, which... I. I have to say, I, I wasn't exactly sure how he got past Angel into the <laughs> sewer systems there without seeing him and all of that. But Angel's a separate topic. Well, well, the, I, I, that doesn't bother me too much. I feel like Angel, the impression I'm getting from these first two episodes is that Angel, you'll see Angel when he wants you to see him. <laughs> and yes. he's happy. I think he could easily slip in some shadows and let Xander go by and just, uh, yeah. Well, and, and even, if he's so, even there, I don't even know enough about him to know, like where, where does he go in the meantime? Right. Well, and, and when you watch, so there, the conversation that angel, and I didn't mean to start talking about angel, but, but just real quickly note, because it, 
it bears on that point. If you if you watch real closely that scene where Buffy's coming into the crypt and going to the door um, that leads into like the tunnel system, Angel, you you can clearly see her, see the door leading outside and and sort of the light out there. And Angel actually comes from a different section of that mausoleum. And and you don't necessarily know. I mean, maybe there's other rooms or other right you know right. shadowy areas or whatever. But he he definitely steps from around a corner that is is hidden there. So yeah, maybe he was just hiding from Xander and or maybe whatever. Maybe he went somewhere else in the meantime. We don't really have an idea of how Quick. much time. Quickly there. about Angel, because I'm afraid we're not going to get back to him. But uh, at the very end, am I reading too much into it to have, as he uh, says, you know, uh, she did it, I'll be damned. And that seems like a significant line to me in a okay. story about vampires. But um, <laughs> well, as he, damnation. I'll be damned. Uh, but as yes. he walks away... Uh, in the on the garbage can behind him, it says in big white letters, "Watch your step," which I just um, was like, hmm, a little bit of prop detail there, or just some accidental uh, yeah, luck. It, I don't, I don't know, but I just wanted to point out that I noticed those things. So maybe if they're significant, I, we have on record that I noticed them. All right, we're going way off track here, but just because, all right, to get Angel out of our system. Okay, so then we're going back to Jesse. A couple of things. So we know from the first episode that that we're not sure whose friend Angel is because he, he says, I didn't I say I was your friend. I don't have any friend. friend. <laughs> he, does and, he have any friends? He well, says he doesn't and, know what it was like to have a friend. Yeah, well, and or, well. Uh, or he, uh, he doesn't answer Buffy's B- question. Buffy asks, right, yeah. right. Buffy asks him. Do you know what it's like to have a friend? Well, that wasn't supposed he to says, be a stumper. He says nothing. <laughs> so, yeah. So he, yeah, he's just completely silent on the matter. So, yeah, the question is, you know, whose friend is he still? Um, so we don't really know, but we do know he's not the friend specifically of the people or the vampires that Buffy's looking for. He he says they don't really like me. So. Mm-hmm. Um, we do at least have that much. So we we kind of get a sense of which way he's leaning. That he's at mm-hmm. least leaning towards Buffy being, right. you know, he the, gives the, her, he gives her directions after he, gives, he hesitates, but he does give her directions. He gives her directions. And like you noted, you know, at the end, he, he does, he does say, wow, you know, she was able to do this yeah. thing that I didn't think she could do. So, so again, yeah. but he, we also know that he's afraid. He, he, he's not willing to step in. He says he's afraid of the harvest or that he can't, that he won't stop the harvest because he's afraid. I don't remember if we actually get, a sense of exactly what he's afraid of at that mm, point. I don't think so. Um, but yeah, so so that's, I mean, again, just a little bit more about Angel, but he, uh, at least we do get that sense that, that maybe he's on her side, even though we don't know quite yet how. Mm-hmm. Um, anyway, going back, because I really do want to talk about Xander here. Yes. <laughs> um, so he, he he's in the sewer, he's feeling inadequate and has this urge to help. But because he doesn't have this experience that Buffy has and because he doesn't have the research and, and really the knowledge that that Willow has, he he completely forgets any kind of weapon. <laughs> you right. know, what, what does he bring with him? He brings with him flashlight. So Buffy hands him her cross, you know, which which I find it interesting, too. She didn't really have too much, but she at least had, you know, this cross that that she happened to have with her. Um but she doesn't have any of her weapons, which we see later in the episode. She uh-huh. apparently has quite a few to get, right? Uh, to to choose from, um, right? Hidden away under her toys and uh, 
her old sort of yeah yeah <laughs> junk and knickknacks and everything. Yep. Um, but I think so. There, there's sort of two things that I want to point out here is that um, there's two places where we find that Xander does become helpful. So so obvious. So they find Jesse and they run away and they get trapped into this room that Jesse leads them to and. Oh, turns out Jesse's a vampire. He was just leading them to a dead end, and now all the other vampires are coming at him slowly and menacingly. Not in you know, not like twenty eight days later where they just run at you full speed. <laughs> but you know, despite that, we, we get Jesse's grand soliloquy there, or or, or not soliloquy, but but uh, explanation of his connectedness and all of this, and. Uh-huh. Um, you know, again, Xander's inexperienced. Buffy has to yell out to him, "Yo, Xander, the cross! Like, yeah. you idiot! You're holding it in your hand. Put it up to his face so that he's not, you know, going to bite you." And, um, you know, all of that. But so, two things is, you know, Buffy, despite her strength, despite everything, you know, her super capabilities here, she isn't able to get this door closed. And right. and and Xander lends just enough to help mm-hmm. her do that mm-hmm. so i think i think i don't know that may even support your your thesis here that um you know he, he xander as the body he kind of lends himself to you know mm-hmm. just give that little bit extra that she needs to close the door and then they're standing there the vampires are pounding he uses this flashlight which is the tool that he brought to mm-hmm. find a way out mm-hmm. um which again he's not smart resourceful in the way that willow is i right. I, know, I hate to say it that way he's not stupid certainly he's just right. your your average normal guy he's but right. he, you know he's not he's, he's not, not he's, he's not, not intellectual the one to go, right he's not intellectual he's not going to go looking through books to find the right answer yeah um clearly because he's now in a sewer with buffy but but he does use what he has yeah you know and and he uses it in a useful way and then even um the, the the part that I find a little less convincing is Buffy's inability to to pull her own foot out of the grasp Pulling of the vampire. Pulling herself out, yeah. But but I I remember distinctly actually when I first saw that I was like oh that's you know whatever. But I think the point here is again that that without Xander being there, you know she 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 didn't need much, but she needed she that needs little someone. bit little bit of extra help to get away from the vampires, and and I think that's where. You know, maybe it will support your thesis in the end here mm-hmm. that, that we really get this idea of the coalescing of the team. Right. It, you know, it, it's in total contradiction to what Buffy says about herself, that she's she's the one. She's the only one who can right. go fight the vampires and survive. She she wouldn't have. No. I mean, I mean, well, that's, and I that's think... the implication anyway. She might have. She might have. Right. But right. the implication is that she needed Xander's help and that and that she isn't. You know, you, you know, she can't just do everything on her own. Right. Um, sorry, right. go well, ahead. Well, and I think that is almost more a point about Buffy than it is about Xander. Because I think, like you're saying, like, it's not like she needed much. It wasn't that it was Xander. Like, he, she needed Xander in that moment. Maybe there are going to be moments where there's something particular to Xander that mm-hmm. saves the day. But I think in those moments... It's more the point of she needed somebody um, right. on her own. She wouldn't have made it, and she needs to accept 
the help of other people. But I, but I do, th- I think you're right. I think that it, it, there wasn't necessarily anything about Xander except for the fact that he's the, the flashlight. One who, who, <laughs> well, except for the one that he's the one who went. Sure. That's yeah. the thing about him. It, he, right. You know, Angel didn't go. He, right. he explicitly right. said, I'm not going to go because I'm scared. Right. Willow didn't go. Giles didn't go. They stayed back to do their research, right. but also because they were scared. I mean, let, you know, let's face it. it. It wasn't just that it was their skills in researching. It's that they also did not want to go face the vampires. Right. right. So know, if that, it's particular to Xander, it's in his, I can't, his inability to let right. her go in there by herself. And also because it's Jesse is his best friend. Sure. And and so it's again. I think you're right. It you know Buffy didn't necessarily need anyone there, and and Xander wasn't necessarily there for Buffy. Xander mm-hmm. was more there for Jesse, mm-hmm. you know, there because of Jesse, I should say. So, you know, I think I think we're getting to that idea that there needs to be a team there. But I think you're right. It's not mm-hmm. like they're not they're not needing necessarily each other. They just needed something other than themselves at that point. And I'm sure if that's the case, that that'll change well um, I, I yeah I, I mean that's just i think the story so far yeah you know it, 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 and that's these are the events that that are pulling them together clearly but um but yeah yes yeah, so, well so maybe if we're identifying um kind of a main virtue for xander then it would be his loyalty um that you know he needs to like we were saying he needs to physically go and support his friends, you know, so Mm -hmm. he can't wait for Buffy to go do the work herself. He's got to, he's got to go and help. Um, Right. Yeah. I, no, I, I would say, I would say in this case, it's definitely his loyalty to Jesse that, Mm -hmm. that brings him to that point. And, and where that goes from here will remain to be seen. (laughs) Um, You know, interesting. So talking about Jesse and and this whole idea of the soul triptych, then you you have this, again, potential friend, but obviously he's excluded at this point and not not excluded because of anything about him, but excluded because of the events, both the choices that he makes and the occurrence of him becoming a vampire. I was I was about to say through no fault of his own, (laughs) although that's not quite true because we've learned how even though it happened off screen we don't know the circumstances in which it happened i guess the implication is that he made the decision to knowingly or not he chose to uh reciprocate and become one of the vampires yeah well well so right we get the we get the brief um explanation from from buffy in the first episode that there, there's a sharing there that, you know, you, they both have to drink. The vampire has to drink mm-hmm. from him and, and he had to drink from the vampire. Now, um, you know, whether that, he understands that, the implications of that, you know, well, and whether he, it. and whether he necessarily did it willingly. Right. 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 We don't know. Cause we yeah, didn't see it. We, we didn't see it. It's off screen. Um, I, you know, but I think that goes, I, so that goes back to some of the themes we were talking about last week with, the ideas of, of, um, you know, the witness me prowling, you know, Mm -hmm. and, and, and Jesse being the one who's the prowler, who's 
being proud, you know, uh-huh. my Darla. Yeah. And, and, and so we don't, we don't know what did he end up being? Did he, did he choose to become a vampire? Because, you know, we get that line, oh, you've, you've been upgraded to bait, you uh-huh. know, from Luke, the vampire. Um, <laughs> but the, that's not as funny as Colin, the vampire. Colin, the vampire. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, that was the one that had me smile. <laughs> so, so we get, we get the, uh, you know, we get this upgrade, and and at that point, Jesse may have just been happy to not be dying. You know, right. he might have said, right. "Yeah, okay, fine." You know, I'll become a vampire if it means I'm not going to be and dead. He, yeah, yeah, no, and, he he may have no idea what he's uh-huh. sort of signing up for. And and we get this, but then we get the fulfillment of of the witness me prowling Jesse because mm-hmm. then he he totally becomes the the the, um, the hunter predi- rather than the, the predator hunter, yeah in this in this case yeah he's uh yeah and and so in that so but again you know we don't know that that's the case we don't know that he made that decision we only mm-hmm. know that he ultimately did become a vampire and mm-hmm. so by virtue of that he becomes excluded from this from this group he's he can't be one of them anymore. He, you, you know, and, and there's, there's probably some sort of metaphoric level there happening too. I mean, we all have those friends from high school that change, you know, yeah. that, I mean, there's, yeah. there's, you know, just something happens, uh, maybe in high school itself or, or it might not be till later, you know, when, you know, one day you just realize, wait, we're on two totally different levels here right. now. You know, we're, we're not, we don't think the same ways that we used to, or, or maybe we just never recognize that we always thought differently, mm-hmm. you know? So, mm-hmm. so there's, there's that sort of idea too. I think that I, you know, I don't, I don't know exactly how to, how to fit that in. Like if, you know, you almost wonder like, had it been, um, Xander had you know had he, he been the one the who, same decision? Who, who yeah had he been the one right. who ran into Darla at the wrong time mm-hmm. and been captured what would have happened there and would Jesse be the one here interesting just sort of from a production note um the the idea of Jesse being part of the group was totally something that Joss Whedon wanted to I mean, clearly in the story, we're, we get the sense and, and Buffy, you know, is trying to save him and, and calls him a potential friend and, and all of this stuff. But um, Joss Whedon really wanted to go as far as like in, in the opening credits and stuff to have Jesse inserted explicitly and, and, and you uh-huh. know, visually. Now, right. now um, the actor's name, and, and it's escaping me, uh, Eric uh, Balfour, is it? I, I, I forget the name of the the actor who plays Jesse. Um, but his name does appear in the, in the credits, but, but his image doesn't appear in, in that opening right, music right, scene. Okay. And so, so like, but Joss, I mean, so, and, and you're familiar with Firefly and, and, and Joss's <sighs> betrayal there. He, he, <laughs> he, he, he wanted to, uh, he, he wanted to make that stand out more. So it, it you know, it, this is a, a deep instinct that he has to, uh, really pull a fast one on people by making them fall in love or, or at least right. very much like these characters and then turn them into. Right. Right. Just like uh, Jack in the original lost pilot, he was supposed to die halfway through. Well, there you go. And so, yeah, some, some writers just have that, which is, I think a good, I mean, I think you can, you know, I think Jack would have been taking it too far or maybe putting Jesse in the, putting his image in the credits would have been taking it too far. And, you know, you don't want to deceive 
um, or mislead your audience, but I think there's a good impulse there, which is to, you know, um, play a little bit of games, um, you know, yeah. not, not let the audience rest on the assurance of we know what, you know, we know we're genre savvy, we know right. who the main characters are, we know nothing's going to happen to them, and so therefore we, we um, don't really invest. Um, yeah. Well, we no, just I assume think... that we have everything figured out before we've even seen it. And I think what Joss tries to do is challenge that and, you know, now you don't want to push it so far that people don't invest for the opposite reason because they believe you're just going to screw them over every week. You know, I think it's a, t a fine line you have to walk, but I think he's right. wanting to really challenge your expectations. No, I think you're right. And I think this, I mean, this goes back to the, the genre discussions that we were having before, uh, the genre bending discussions right up from the first mm -hmm. scene with Darla and, and that unnamed guy who, right. uh, you know, who, whom she, ends up attacking and, and you, you know it's you know what's going to go on oh jesse's not going to die he's one of the group he's one of the team right, and right. and of course that and then even when he becomes a vampire i i yeah. remember thinking well you know maybe he becomes one of the bad guys you know right. like that that right. you know appears recurringly throughout the series or something and mm -hmm. nope that doesn't nope. happen either because, because one his, episode that's what he gets <laughs> his, 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 well two but yeah yeah <laughs> um anyway one, so. one is a vampire oh right right yes um anyway so that's uh, i i like this idea of the soul triptych i think we'll, we'll we need to make sure that we have it in our notes mm -hmm. to to continue exploring it um yeah and we don't need to i'm not i uh, i i don't want to i don't want to harp on it or, or imply that if you know if it I don't think it needs to be so rigidly adhered to that if there's an episode that doesn't um, work with it, that that means it's necessarily debunked or it doesn't need to be constantly, it doesn't need to be an allegory. Um, no, no, no. But it may I... be a useful sort of jumping off point to look at the development of the characters and sort of working as a team. Right. And and I think even just, um, you know, like, like we said before, how, you know, is it, like you said, is it youthful jumping off point and, and how does it change? You know, where does it break down? Where mm -hmm. do roles get reversed? Mm -hmm. You know, where do perhaps other characters come in to provide things that maybe one of these, what seem to be the three main characters in this episode or these right. first, first couple of episodes, you know, how do, how do other people maybe have to provide for the things that maybe they were providing at one time or that sort right, of thing. Right. So, you know, again, trying, trying to be somewhat vague and not give anything away for future storylines or anything. But, um, I do think, I do think it's a useful start, uh, to start thinking about some of these characters. And it's, it's one that I hadn't heard again before tonight. So I, I, I'm still sort of thinking it through in my own mind and uh -huh. I'm sure, sure we'll have other, other right. ideas now now you're running through the entire his the entire know, rest I of the know. season like all seven trying to figure I'm out like, if it works hmm. out <laughs> <laughs> and i don't know maybe I it will we'll i will find that, out and i think that's part of my my intrigue in, into looking you know making sure we continue to look at it is because i i'm curious too i don't want to make any snap judgments about it 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 very it very well may work quite 
rigidly throughout well, and the series. Part of it, but... too, might be that we're just getting to know the characters, so um, they're much less complex than they'll become. So sure. we're going to see nuances, you know, so it might be that for a first episode, Joss is wanting to make them very clear and distinct and give you more kind of archetypes. So you have the computer geek or whatever. And that's yeah. a that's a type that we can recognize and say, I know what kind of a girl she is. Now, that I'm sure will become complicated the more and, that we get to know her. And she's going to have other right. layers and aspects. Well, and just, you know, for real world analogies, you know, kind of thing. I mean, when you're, when you first get to know someone, you don't know everything about them. Of you, course you, not. You know, I mean, you, you know, it's just like introducing someone who you just met. Um, you ask them questions, you, you find out more about right. them as, as time goes on. So yeah, absolutely. You're right. I think um, we're just getting to know these people. They are very, not very cardboard. I mean, there, there's certainly some nuance to them, but right. But they're you, recognizable and sort of identifiable types. as sort of types of characters at this point. Yeah. So I know we've got maybe about another ten minutes here that we wanted to spend on Buffy. Um, want to definitely get in some mythology aspects here. So what what are sort of the things that you picked up on or, or wanted to talk about from the mythological aspects? Because I think we do get even a lot more than the first episode. Um, here right with, well, with some of the mythological aspects yeah we got a lot this is a <laughs> bit i got a lot of mythology points here so um well i mean just this idea of the old ones is very intriguing so mm -hmm. so the fact that the vampires are, you know, that Giles says the earth is older than you realize. And before there were vampires, there were these demons that roamed the earth. Um, and I guess the vampires are a mixture of demon and human. Is that, yes. is that right? And they seem to be, um, even though there's individual vampires and they have a certain amount of autonomy, you know, they, they, can complain and they can disobey and they can disappoint <laughs> each other. So they're clearly not all exactly of one mind, but right. there seems to be a spirit or some sort of uniform will or intelligence, which is sort of infecting and spreading from one to the other. Um, mm. Am I on the right track with that? Well, um, maybe not. I, th I, I think at this point that seems right. With, without giving too much away, I think... But maybe um, that's a mislead. So, okay, let's let's start with the old ones. <laughs> there, so, yes, the de there were the demons who used to roam the earth, and, and um, the master is, I believe, one of them. Oh, is and he? That, okay. And that's why you get... So all of the other vampires you see at one point or another with their plain face, their normal human face, uh -huh. and they change. The master, you don't. Um, he can he can never change. Well, he can't ever look like. Or a at least person. he he doesn't. But okay. The so but one of the things that and and this you know again sort of getting into production and 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 the concept behind it, he he totally was intended um, to look Nosferatu. Uh -huh. yeah. You know, and, and very much, you know, have this bat like appearance uh -huh. to distinguish him from regular vampires. So right. so he, he's definitely not he, he, he is a vestige himself. He's been around so long of this demonic time of the old ones. Mm -hmm. um, 
one of the, and and sort of one of the other things that that you kind of get a sense of in this and and I don't want to make too much of a point of it now because we you know but we may see more of it later it is just the whole idea of you know one he's the master he doesn't have any like right. Luke, like Luke or Darla or you know Colin Colin or <laughs> or any of these other vampires he doesn't have he's the master uh-huh. and so I think you know you get this almost religious feel of of religious authority in him right he's mm-hmm. not to blaspheme or anything but you know it's like the pope or or well, the you know and the whole the head honcho the of, whole ritual surrounding the vessel felt mm-hmm. very um like a like a black mass or like a yeah. like an evil you know version of a kind of a communion that you know right you know yeah. here's my blood we are one i my spirit is in you that right. kind of that kind of religious imagery is used and and so you're getting this whole sense of um of a very patriarchal sort of authority mm-hmm. so i think what you might be sensing in in the um you know idea that is so Jesse even says I know the master's plans right he's like mm-hmm. I I I'm 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 down with what the master is doing like right. I'm totally going to follow him and I'm going to get my fill of things to eat so you yeah you he's a true believer in mm-hmm. that sort of sense um and I don't think that's just because he's now a vampire and tapping into a vampire thing. I think it, it specifically has to do with the master and this sort of patriarchal authority. So, okay. um, you know, again, I don't want to give too much away, but but I, I would say that what what you're sort of reading into like this. I wouldn't. I don't think that we're intended to to believe that they're all like one spirit tapped in together, mm-hmm. but but that they are definitely following the master, mm-hmm. who is you know who has this sort of authority there. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, so one other thing. So this this whole idea of the world that's you know older than any of you know. Um, and again, you know the the old ones there. It was originally demon infested. Um, there's, there's this one, so we talked a little bit, um, I think back in our introductory podcast about how, um, you, you were mentioning how Dr. Who is like, it's science fiction, but you know, there's also like these fantastical elements to it. Mm-hmm. I think, and, and I'm sure we're going to make so many more of these sorts of comparisons. Yeah. I think Buffy is almost the, you know, the, the, the verso of the coin for that. The, so the it's the inverse of that. Yeah, right. Yeah. You get the idea that. You know, obviously, this is a fantastical, magical world, but you get this one line of explanation from Giles that um, they lost their hold in this reality, and uh-huh. and it it he points to just again very briefly this sort of idea of a multiverse because where did the demons go? They left mm-hmm. and made room for humans. Well, where did they go? It's uh-huh. you know the the idea being that they went to some other reality, uh-huh. and 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 he even mentions you know the reality that comes after this one. So you kind of get this whole sort of multiverse field, uh-huh. it, almost a scientific explanation for the fantastical stuff that's going on. Well, Don't I- make- I was thinking of this in relation to Doctor Who, but maybe we can mention this for both of them that the the Arthur C. Clarke maxim. I'm sure you've heard it um, that any sufficiently advanced science is indistinguishable from magic, and that well, idea that some there's a there's a there's a type of science that is so advanced that it appears yeah. magical, and the two become blended. 
Well, um, and 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 I don't. I don't know if we're and that if maybe we should that take that too far at this point. Um, yeah, and, for but, Buffy, and maybe but. and that's not, and I don't think that needs to be like something we touch on a whole lot. But just that idea of blending yeah. the blending of the two genres. Well, and, um, and 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 definitely. So I think I think as we learn more about the magic in Buffy's world, we can we can sort of maybe compare it to that that idea mm-hmm. and see see what you know, how it holds up. But I did want to point out that there is this this sort of slight science fictional element of this multiverse idea that there's these demons who were in this reality, they moved to they shifted or mm-hmm. went somehow to some right. other reality. To a, and and a left parallel behind, universe or whatever. And, and other, left behind yeah. these vestiges of magic mm-hmm. um that include things like the vampires and, and various demonish things that they might face. Um and yes, again, the vampires are demons. They infected, you know, human bodies. Um, you get the, you know, you get a few more ways to kill them with, you know, fire mm-hmm. decapitation and and the lovely story about the the ex jock and the exacto knife. Exacto uh, knife. <laughs> exacto knife beheading. Yeah. Um, and uh, and Willow um, breaks out the holy water. <clears throat> yeah, Willow has the holy water. Um, but but this idea that 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 they are something different than um the person that they used to be uh, right right you're not you're not looking at your friend you're looking at the thing that killed him yes exactly so so there is um, now i wonder are we going to test that theory that's how what i'm feeling is i'm i i don't yet entirely take giles at his word yet i have a feeling we're gonna revisit that idea well, and so I would just point, ask to you then. So looking at Jesse, which is really the only one who we we've known as both a human and a vampire at this point, is there anything suggesting that maybe that's not wholly right? Yes, I think okay. so. Do explain. Well, uh, he um, he seems put out that he doesn't. Well, a that he goes for Cordelia, so he's narrowing in on someone who previously has humiliated him. So that seems like a little bit of revenge to me or satisfaction of residual and, desires and a little and, bit of both. Yeah, and not only goes after her but feels possessive towards her, which right. is right. what so, he wanted all along. Exactly. So he's getting to fulfill what he wanted, the desire that he had before and is now capable of fulfilling and also uh, get revenge on her for what she did to him and kind of snubbing him. Um, so he has the upper hand now. Um, Mm -hmm. but, um, and then the fact that he seems put out when she gets taken away from him. So he says, I don't get one. And again, there's that, there's a sense of individuality in there that he's not, even though you say he has this new sort of, you know, uh, commitment to the master, not so much that he is handing over Cordelia to, you know, to the vessel he wants her uh and he's kind of like annoyed that he doesn't get to keep one for himself so right. there's at least a little i so i do see some residual personality elements and at the if not maybe if not so much personality at least still a sense of individuality and individual desires and yeah. even kind of selfish and, desires and and memory and yeah, yeah i mean he clearly yeah. remembers yeah. His time as human sure. Jesse. Yeah. 
Um, so, but he's an evil version of that or, right. or whatever you right. want to call it. Yeah. I, so, I mean, I think you've sort of answered maybe some of your own questions and in, in some of that. I think you're right though. It, well, but I, I'm same. And that's what I saw, but I'm, if I was going to put money on it, I expect the show to answer those questions or explore those questions explicitly. Like maybe yeah. we're going to get another character that we know a little bit better who gets turned and Buffy and co are going to have to wrestle with is he or she still in there somewhere. Right. Uh, right. That's what I'm anticipating. That, that very well could be. And then if they are, what do we do about it? Right. Yeah. So. Right. And, and, and Xander's convinced that Jesse, the Jesse, he knew the human Jesse, that was his friend. That was his best friend is mm -hmm. still in there. But is it, is it because it just looks is that Nile or whatever? Yeah. yeah. Is, is it just because he looks like Jesse or because yeah. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Uh, so we we're, kind of, we're, we're kind of at our time here. Okay. We didn't really get to talk about, um, the one major other thing that I want to talk about was sort of the levels of awareness, mm -hmm. um, building on what I said last week. But I, I, I think, I think we can pass over that and, um, we'll, we'll have to move on to Dr. Who at this point. And, and maybe we'll, we'll do some write-ups for our blogs on, uh, the yeah. pieces we didn't get to talk about here. Yeah. So Dr. Who, you, you know, it's interesting and, and I didn't really pick up on this until I was typing up my notes, but both of these deal with end of the world. The scenarios. I was, I was, <laughs> I, I, I did notice that. Yeah. And, and so, uh, um, obviously, one, is, one is prevented. The other is emphatically not prevented. <laughs> yes, 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 yes. Um, yeah. So sort sort of the one thing that I wanted to talk about with Dr. Who and, and, and with this episode, titled The End of the World, is um, and, the and, very... And it might as well be a quote from Buffy's mom for, for Rose here. Everything is the end of the world when you're a teenage girl. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Um, the, the idea here really strongly played out for me of, of the, uh, this whole dichotomy of, uh, I don't know if you want to call it fate versus free will, um, order versus entropy, but but this this really sort of idea that you both have control and don't have control at the same mm -hmm. time of of your world or your universe as it may be because we're not actually on any world for most of this episode um right from the very beginning i mean and again this this one uh like Buffy, this pretty much picks up right where the first episode left off. Um, mm -hmm. You have Rose and the doctor in the TARDIS. Um, and right away he says, where do you want to go? He gives mm -hmm. her this choice. And of course, what's, you know, the, the, you get the anticlimactic choice of a hundred years in the future. <laughs> you, know, you can go anywhere in time and space. And she wants to go to a hundred years in the future, England. Yeah. And he's like, yeah, that's boring. Let's yeah. go, you know, 5,000 years. And it Let's takes go. him all of like two seconds to go there. <laughs> yeah. He's like, okay, we're here and we're done. Yeah. <laughs> Let's move on. Let's go for it. Uh, and, and so, um, so so yeah so I mean you, obviously he gives her the choice the choice she makes he's like yeah that's not a good choice so so I mean even right kind of from the beginning you get this whole idea of like 
you're in control, but not really in control or, yeah. or, or the decision you make may, you know, it's, there's just other stuff going on. Um, but that's just, you know, that's just kind of between her and the doctor. What I really started getting interested in was this idea of the earth sort of being held in trust and, and the whole concept of, um, they were preserving this earth and, and, you know, rearranging its continents back to their, not their original position, obviously, but their position in some arbitrary time and space that Rose happens to, yeah, that Rose happens to equate with. Um, and, and so they're, they're restoring it there and, and they're holding the sun back. And then, you know, you, you know, they're, they're doing all of this until the money runs out Mm -hmm. until this thing that, that is, totally arbitrary and and doesn't seem to have any rational reason other than the fact that there's just no money to keep it up anymore so we're just going to let the earth be destroyed so again you know you have this sort of you know this orderly we're, we're keeping it here whatever but then the funny thing is who are the people who come and watch the earth's destruction they're the people with the money right. <laughs> you know but the money's run out to keep it so it's almost like you know the very ones who could do something about it aren't doing anything about no, it no they they watch it for fun the doctor yeah. says <laughs> um so i i don't know i was just sort of drawn to these to these you know sort of dichotomies and then again um just with the doctor himself you know he's He's there, and and Rose asks him, well, you know, oh, so is this what you do? You jump in and and you save everything at the Mm -hmm. last minute? Or you save the Earth at the last minute? And and he's like, no, I'm I'm not saving it, in fact. You know, this is, um, uh, you know, everything has its time. You kind of get that idea of, you know... The money's run out, you know, mm-hmm. whatever has happened, it's time for the earth to go. And mm-hmm. actually, maybe it should have gone mm-hmm. some time ago. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the, well, there's that sense of um, you can hold back the forces of time and nature for a good long while, but eventually nature is going to take its course. And right. And, I mean, he says that, you know that line you know time's up for the earth and then again with as kind of his justification for letting cassandra die at the end he says very clearly that everything uh everything has its time and everything dies um and this whole sort of ecclesiastes yeah 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 uh and this whole this whole idea that you know, for someone who is seemingly limitless, you know, uh, I mean, you're talking about you have choices, but you don't, um, you know, I mean, we have a guy who has no boundaries. He can literally go any where and any when that he wants. Um, and, but that even for him, everything has its time and everything dies. Um, and that, eventually uh what's going to happen is going to happen and there's really nothing you can do about that and that there's a kind of acceptance of that at a certain Mm -hmm. point um you know that he seems sort of like he like you said he's not going to for whatever for for as many times as this guy has saved the planet 
for some reason this time he's decided this time he's not i'm not gonna save it it's time um you know and, and he's being very zen about it now the doctor like i said saves the planet a lot so i'm not <laughs> suggesting that the doctor always knows when it's time for things you know but um but i think this idea of everything uh everything ends everything dies is one of the big themes capital b capital t that I, I can't speak to the old show and maybe there's some future incarnation of the show which has different ideas on its mind but for this version uh, that we're watching, that is never going to go away. They're right. going to repeat that in variation um, constantly. Um, so, yeah, definitely a big thing to look at in this episode and something that we're going to come back to over and over again. Well, and and so... So, again, you, you sort of have this dichotomy, right? He's not going to... He's not going to change sort of the natural order of things with regard to the earth um, being destroyed. But he very much does save the people on this platform. Uh-huh. And, you know, so it's not, he, you know, it's not this sort of, again, you know, the standoffishness. And, and again, you know, I mean, the last episode, he just, he just saved the earth from the, the nesting consciousness. Uh -huh. And, and, you know, so, you know, it's. Where are we going to go? Watch it go burn. <laughs> like. Yeah. Yeah. It's just very, very. It is interesting. I, I, you know, I think that's that's one of the things that trying to figure out what is what is sort of the doctor's purpose, what is his goal or his plan, or does he even have any? Like, you know, and that's you know, like like Rose says, oh, well, is this what you do? You just jump in and save mm -hmm. the earth, but. But no, that's in fact not what I do. I'm I'm here for fun. I'm here, you know, because he's there for fun too. Presumably right. at the beginning, you know, they don't when they arrive, they're just there to watch the Earth right. explode. Well, they, we're back they, to we're back to what you mentioned last time about his obliviousness. That yeah, it it, do, it doesn't seem to occur to him that this might be a painful thing for Rose to witness. Yeah, yeah. Well, exactly, and. And of course, he has no idea of what's about to happen, right. even though he is a time lord and, mm -hmm. you know, whatever. Like, I mean, I, I realize that doesn't necessarily mean he can see in the future. He has to actually, you know, visit and, and experience things there. Or mm -hmm. I don't know. I guess maybe I don't know that at this point. But um, um, I mean, doesn't... we're constantly learning more about what it never becomes particularly clear exactly how much of time, how much of time in history his knowledge encompasses. You he, sort of learn that as you go. So some yeah. things, some things in history he knows about and others he doesn't. Um, yeah. And that kind of depends on the episode. And, and my only point there was like, I mean, clear, when they jump to this platform, he doesn't seem to know what's about to happen. I mean, right. That the platform he, almost, that gets, the platform sort of, itself yeah. is and, right. And, and Cassandra's whole betrayal and whatever. And right. So again, right. I just, um, Right. He knows things, enough um, to know that there's this observation deck and they're going to watch this happen, but not the yeah. details of their experience on board or anything. Yeah, yeah he doesn't seem to have any idea what's about to go down there. So right. um, just one or two other things on this whole like fate, free will, order, entropy kind of idea. Um, so, well, Cassandra, I mean, 
what she does, you, you know, to herself with all the various operations and the flattening and, and whatever, um, she can't control the fact that she needs this constant moisturizing, you know, and that's <laughs> obviously becomes a, a, a factor in there because then the other things that she, she does have control over this, this whole betrayal and, and attempt to, um, create a hostage situation by which she would, you know, get money for more operations is what ultimately ends to her downfall because she raises the heat and, and, uh-huh. you know, gets killed by her own actions. And so, so again, you have this, you, you know, the things that you control become the things that you can't control and, and right. just sort of this cyclical nature. of Right. Well, and you've got villains contributing to their own destruction in yeah. the end. Yeah. Causing directly, you know, enacting um, their own destruction, and and then um, seemed kind of minor. It was just kind of in the um, the conversation that that the doctor and Jabe are having when they're walking kind of down that access hall um, about the corporation and how nobody is in control of the computer, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, on the ship itself. Um, you know, but the corporation is yeah. control, but they're not on the ship, you know, they're, they're off somewhere else. And, and you, you get almost this deity esque feel about the corporation that, right. you know, it's well, it, and, it, and, uh, deity esque, but even closer to home, I think is that everything is, um, automated, you know, yeah. like if something goes wrong, nobody knows how to fix it. And you are literally lost without the right. technology. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, you know, again, the sort of like, you know, it can be controlled, but we can't control it. And, you know, you, you have to do a lot of jiggery pokery to kind of, (laughs) to get, (laughs) to get to the point where, where you can figure it out. But anyway, technical um, term. And and then again, just one other minor thing that um, Jabe says about having to be seen at the right occasions, you know, again, you get the sense of these people are rich and powerful and can do anything they want. And yet, there they have to be there like if she's not there it's almost like she she would lose her prestige and uh-huh. and money and and whatever maybe not right away but if you know too many times of not being at the right occasions would certainly um affect the wealth and the money that gives them the ability to do what they want but then again they're not really doing what they want so right. and you know again this whole kind of like cyclical you know is it fate is it free will you know is there order to it or is it just kind of all random happenstance Mm -hmm. um so those those were just that that was sort of like the those sort of big ideas that i pulled out of this episode seemed to me um obviously there were some some other ones there too but i feel like um i feel like i've talked for a bit what what other things did you want to mention um well, I mean, we did talk a little bit about Cassandra, but I just sort of wanted to, um, actually, well, just for like a production standpoint, um, you know, watching the commentary and listening to some, uh, interviews and everything just, and I'll lead this into Cassandra, but the boldness of the second episode, that this was the most expensive episode of the season. Okay. Um, and, uh, and they wanted to go for this sort of space opera feel of let's cram as many ideas and as many types of people and be as big and as outrageous as we can be. Um, I think they had, uh, they said they had 228 effects shots for this one episode, which, uh, 
is quite a lot, I think, for a 45-minute, uh, on, you know, on a modest budget, you know, that's a lot of effects. Um, mm. And so, you know, Russell Davies is the showrunner kind of saying, like, this is saying up front to everybody, this is the kind of show this is. So if you don't like it, get out now. Um, and <laughs> contrasting to what we talked about last week with, with the Auton sort of exemplifying the show, we talked about a lot about the show kind of having this idea of the mundane. Um, and that's true. And I, and I do think that is kind of the, the, the really iconic thing that the show does well, but that's not the only thing it does. And I think it's very deliberate that, you know, whether they start with that in episode one, there's nothing mundane or within human experience about episode two. And, you know, going from London contemporary with shop dummies into, um, you know, the five billion, it's not even called five billion. It's, it's 5.5 slash apple slash 26, um, with the earth being exploded, um, huge amounts of, of effects shots, um, lots of really crazy looking aliens. Um, and just as, as big and as over the top, um, as they could possibly go. So it's kind of interesting, uh, an interesting contrast. Um, and then just, you know, I mean, so Cassandra obviously fits in that. I mean, for all that she's, she says she's the last human, she is far less human than a lot of the aliens, you know, certainly not humane. Um, and as Rose says, she's been nicked and nipped and tucked and, you know, anything human got chucked in the bin a long time ago. Um, so she thinks of herself as human and as everyone else's less than, but um, her behavior is really what marks her out as, as inhuman and as, as kind of the monster of the episode. And I like, again, just touching on the outrageousness of it, it, this is the kind of satire, you know, that kind of, it's not subtle satire. It is over the top, you know, ridiculous. You know, it, it's Gilliam-esque to me. Have you ever seen Brazil? Um, no. It, it's the same kind of thing. It's like ladies who get, there's these ladies in there who are getting plastic surgery and the surgeon kind of, you know, pulls their skin back so that it stretches out like a foot from their face and then like clips it behind their head to pull it back. That's what this reminds me of. It's just taking whatever is sort of in the culture now and pushing it to the furthest, most outrageous extreme that you possibly can, which is, you know, kind of gets its point across. It's biting, um, but it's also really funny at the same time. Um, yeah. Yeah. And kind of yeah. gross and squeaky and everything. <laughs> so, you know, uh, you know, so just kind of touching from a production standpoint on the, if, if the last episode was showing, you know, how, um, you know, how domestic the show can be, this, this is showing, uh, the, exactly the opposite. Um, sure, and very sure. deliberately so. Um, <laughs> yes, disgusting, especially at the end. Yeah. Where, uh, when she, <laughs> Cassandra. When the bits go flying uh, bu- past their heads. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, just a little bit. 
Yeah. So, um, yeah, wow. Okay. So the, yeah, Cassandra's a trip. She, she's only a little bigoted, I guess. Um, <laughs> the, the one thing that, so, yes, she considers herself the, the one last true human. And, of course, um, Rose is, is the comparison there that I think most people would identify right. and say. Rose, Rose is, is probably right. She's, she's really more human than Cassandra ever would be. Um, there's there's also that you know again that whole idea of alienness. So you, you know the the wh- how do you define people? You know what what do you call people <laughs> to begin right. with? Kind of kind of like you were saying, um, and and yeah, there's a lot of that. You know the aliens are so alien. You know <laughs> you look <laughs> and, at them and they're just aliens. <laughs> the the um, you know and of course the the sort of. And and you hear stories even just between different cultures on Earth about, you know, what's considered a gift versus a insult, you know, uh-huh. and that kind of thing. You know, I give you I give you breath from my lungs, <laughs> you know, and then the next, you know, then the guy comes up to him and is like, well, I give you my body fluids and Bodily <laughs> so, you know, um, that whole sense, too. But well, and I didn't even think about this the first time, but the idea that air from my lungs and the tree feels that that's so intimate because, of course, plants breathe in carbon right. dioxide, which we breathe out, and right. they reciprocate with oxygen and everything. So there is an intimacy there because right. plants and people do feed each other with their breath. Um, yeah. So Absolutely. it actually is a good gift for a tree. Um, what? Well, and two, so he just and, didn't happen to have anything on him, right? And and in that whole, you know, sort of scene too. Then, it, like when that happens, you don't. I mean, you you just know that these are some kind of tree creatures, but then you learn later that they're just as much from Earth as humans are, right? Right. And and so so then you're like, well, how alien are they really? Because right. they're they're not. They're earthly, kind of right. in the in the literal sense. Right. They're, you know, ter- they're and, terrestrial terrestrial yeah yeah exactly and so it's it's the things that are alien to cassandra Mm -hmm. you know are are not the things that we learn really should be alien and of course then you learn this whole idea about the doctor being the last of the time lords and and you know and and you don't get any information from him really i mean you get a little but um you get most of what you learn about him from jabe and from Mm -hmm. her um interest in him and and trying to figure out you know through these infernal sorts of metal contraptions that she has to use um, which is which is great they, uh, they still have luddites in the year five billion yeah the trees yeah. are luddites um you, you know the the idea that um he's the last one and so yeah. he's 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 truly and utterly alien to everyone else because there's nobody else like him. Mm-mm. But all, but vice versa is true. Yet he doesn't see when when he and when Rose asks him, well, what what are alien? You know, or what are people to you? And he says, well, people are aliens. You know, yeah. they're they're aliens. There's no difference to him. Like just being being different doesn't mean you're different kind of in a right. way. Like I, right. I, I'm not, I feel like I'm not giving this justice, the idea, right. but, but do you know what I mean? Like it, like the, the otherness that other, that, that some people see some people like Cassandra isn't really otherness. And the things mm-hmm. that, that distinguish us are not really 
the things that we should be using to distinguish each other. Right, right. Um, Rose says, how do, you, how do you define people? He says, valiant. They're all people. Yeah. Um, but, but maybe we should talk a little bit more since we get... I, I really love that last scene between him and Rose uh, when they go back to Earth. And he kind of finally opens up about a little bit about his experience. Um, very, very little. He's very yeah. reluctant to talk. He does not want to talk about this. And, and, and it's not even stuff that we don't really know. No, it's stuff that we've gotten this by a jabe. Yeah. Right. Although Rose hasn't. It, she, he's telling she, Rose for right, the first time. Right, but yeah. the, the viewer already knows this, but right, but Rose right. is just getting the information. Right. Um, so, um, yeah, again, so go ahead. A, again, uh, well, another one of those big themes um, is the Doctor's loneliness, um, mm. which yeah. is intertwined with the everything ends, because obviously his planet, end, it, his planet ended, and that's... So the discussion of his being by himself is happening in the, in the context of thinking about the end of Earth and the end of his planet. Um, but so the themes are sort of related, but, but um, more from a, I, I would say that everything dies is more kind of an abstract thematic thing, whereas the doctor's loneliness is a very um, character specific arc um, that, you know, again, as long as this version of the show lasts, we're going to keep revisiting this idea, both in relation to um, his being the last of his kind, as he talks about, and mm -hmm. um, in his relationships with, or non-relationships with his companions. Um, you know, you kind of were talking earlier about how um, it's really to Jabe and not to Rose, the companion, that he initially... Um, he doesn't open up because, as you said, she discovers this. Um, right. He, it's not like he tells her anything, but but because she knows these things, he does have, um, you know, a level of intimacy with her before he has it um, with Rose. Yeah. Um, well, and I, I would like to say really quick before we go on um, that the idea of the doctor being an emotional a person of emotion and not just a remote uh you know emotionless alien is very different in from what i've heard in the new show versus the old show and okay. a lot of old a lot of diehard classic fans um don't like it when the doctor cries don't like it when the doctor flirts don't like any suggestion that the doctor is subject to uh, feelings of any kind. Um, uh, I don't huh. feel that way. Uh, right. I have no loyalty to the classic show. However, I'm coming. I'm approaching it from the starting point of the Christopher Eccleston Doctor. Um, so that's not a roadblock for me. I, I kind of feel like he can still be alien and have emotions, and emotions are right. more interesting. Um, and that doesn't mean that he won't be alien and that he won't be remote and strange and different. Um, but just as a kind of interesting side note, um, hmm. this idea of him, you know, I mean, he cries in this episode. Uh, I don't think the doctor hardly ever in the 30 years that it was on, uh, he may have cried once or twice. Um, so 
uh, just something to kind of keep in the back of your mind. Yeah, and and so I was thinking too when I was watching it about um, the distinction you said. So like you totally get a different idea from the goofiness that you get from the first episode. Yeah, uh, you're right. Even here. in this episode, yeah. you can see yeah the difference. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it starts out kind of the same way as the first one did, but by the end, yeah, he's definitely way more serious, way more. Um, he's kind of like, think, man, maybe, about... maybe watching Earth die was not such a good idea. Yeah, now he's back yeah, right? to thinking about. <laughs> well, and not just that, but so you get Jabe who, you know, takes the breath from him. I mean, that's the first interaction they have is he breathes on her and she's like, whoa, how intimate, you know, <laughs> ooh, ooh, la la. And, and so, but then she becomes curious, yes, about him and, and, and looks up the information and they have that moment where he does have his tear come down and, and, you know, she's saying, I'm so sorry, you know, mm-hmm. about your home world and all that. So, and then she gives up her life for mm-hmm. him. She sacrifices herself. And that just, I mean, that has to just reinforce that mm-hmm. idea of loneliness that mm-hmm. he, he doesn't even really open up to her right. that much. Although he does express concern for her and and says, you know, you need to leave. You're going to you're going to die if you stay there holding this thing, you know, while I. Right. He doesn't tell her anything. I mean, other than with mournful looks. Right. But you can tell. I mean, but obviously there he's he has the feelings for her. He has whatever. And then she dies. And, And it just I mean, it has to reinforce that. Whatever he's feeling about, and and you still don't know much about his home planet other than that it was destroyed before its time. Mm-hmm. Um, to go back to that idea of everything has right. its time, right? So um, not 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 because the sun expanded over billions of years and this is the course of nature, but because there was a war and we lost, is what he says. And and so, I mean, it's just got to be for him a, a repetition of of that event of losing his world, he loses Jabe, who he's become uh, somewhat mm-hmm. very, very little, but somewhat, you know, intimate with. Right. And so, um, so it does kind of make you wonder just, just thinking from like a whole plotting perspective, Rose really does not have that much of a role in this episode. Right. Uh, she, she, I mean, she's trapped in a room and, a you mm-hmm. know, almost fried for, most of the episode. Yeah. Um, and so it does kind of make you wonder, like kind of at the end, like what, what his choice is there other than the fact that they've just sort of survived this thing. But, but he didn't, you know, he didn't become closer to her in the episode. And, and in fact, I, I guess the only, the only real thing that I see is sort of the contrast from the beginning of the episode where he gets really angry right. when, when she's persistently asking him, well, where are you from? And he's like, all over the place. Why does it matter? You know, like he, he, he actually gets kind of angry with her about these answers. And then, you know, by the end, he is telling her something again, not much, but something mm-hmm. about who he is and where he's from. So, well, yeah, well, I would say that's true up until that last scene. And then I would, and then I would say that there is because he shares with her. And I think it's because, it's not just um, her, you know, feeling sort of out of place and nervous and demanding that 
he tell her more about himself. But she, they, I think they understand each other at the end because his planet's gone. It burned like the Earth. And they just watched, even though it's still there because they can go back in time, um, she just watched her planet burn. So mm. I think because maybe they've, she's maybe experienced a taste of what he's experienced, then he is able to share a little bit with her. Um, and I feel like, although I agree for most of the episode, she doesn't contribute much in terms of the plot. She doesn't help, you know, rescue, you know, anybody on the platform or anything. Um, but, but I think by the end, there's a new level of understanding between the two of them. Sure. And, and so then going back to the whole idea of, of fate versus free will, you almost wonder, did he bring her to that platform precisely for that reason? Mm -hmm. To show her her world being destroyed mm -hmm. so that as, so that as, an, ex as an excuse, well, now I have a segue into why my world got destroyed. You know, I, that's interesting. And maybe on a subconscious level, like I think it's, I think yeah. it's clear that he doesn't want to talk. He gets very angry when she brings it up, but, right. but maybe subconsciously, who can he talk with about, who can he talk to about this? Um, mm. Not any of his people. Um, so, yeah, and we saw what happened to Jabe pretty soon after she tried to talk to him. So, like, right. yeah, I mean, he's clearly desperate for somebody to share these things with, whether he realizes that or not. Mm. Um, and maybe, perverse as it is, maybe he did go there because there was some sort of reminiscence of what he'd been through. And maybe he's just got apocalypse on the brain or something that without even really thinking about it, he's kind of saying, I know what would be great is to go watch your home planet burn. And then, as we said, it brings up all these personal, really personal issues for him. Yeah. You'd yeah. think he'd be more sensitive, but he's not that sensitive. The, um, yeah, so, well, I, yeah, I don't know. There's a lot there. I mean, and, and I guess it's, it's one of those things where like, I don't know how much you can really say at this point, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know, because sure. you still don't know much about him and his history and stuff. I mean, obviously you're getting a little more, there was a war and his world was destroyed and now he's the last one. But then, then you kind of wonder like, well, clearly they can go back in time to other places on her world, but mm -hmm. could they, could they do that on his world too? Mm -hmm. And yeah, I've, I've thought about that and whether to answer that question or not, yeah, um, you, you know, there is don't. an answer to it. I I'm, I'm wondering, I don't think it spoils anything to explain because I think it's just an explanation. I don't think it hinges on, no. Well, that that's fine. We can we can hold off on that. But that those are that's the question that I'm I'm wondering at this point is is he truly alone? If he's if he's a master of time and space, right. you know, is he truly alone? Can he never go back? Or or is there is there something that's for some reason prevents him from ever going back to that place, even into an earlier time before the world was destroyed or or whatever. So, I you know. I don't know. The uh, 
the the other sort of mythological thing um well, so kind of was laughing again about some of the sort of ritual diplomacy type stuff, you know, with the the officiousness of being a guest and and the rules about not tra- teleporting in there. And obviously, mm-hmm. that was sort of a a plot device that you know Cassandra was able to teleport out, but then he could somehow follow the teleportation. Um, and then and then the the line right in the beginning there, the Earth Earth death will be followed by drinks and you know whatever you know whatever room yeah um but i wanted to also talk sort of um well i don't know if it's mythology or or just sort of the technology of Mm -hmm. of the things that he has and we didn't really get to it last time um with like the whole sonic screwdriver thing yeah yeah well Um, let's talk about like his tools and technology and everything yeah, so I, so there were three things. Clearly, the TARDIS, which they start out in the TARDIS and and te- illegally apparently teleport into the uh-huh. <laughs> to the station. Um, but but I was more interested in so so there were kind of two things. Um, one was sort of the whole working of it was very steampunkish, uh-huh. you know, with with like the you know he's pushing this crank lever, the thing, yeah. crank it, yeah, 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 and going and it. And and I think you sort of alluded to it before, like the longer he goes, you know, cranks at it, the further, right, the more com- either... Well, and it, it was interesting to watch this having seen so much of the show too, because he, he, it was very tame and very deliberate the way he operated it. Normally he, I mean, you see it's a 360 circular yeah. console that he pilots by himself. So he normally... He is running around the console, <laughs> turning buttons and levers yeah. from all over. This time, he kind of stayed in one spot. I think just for the effect of the scene, it mm. was more effective to have him, you know, pushing his well, buttons and looking straight at Rose, like gauging her reaction and everything. Whereas if he was running to the other side, he can't, he right. can't keep eye contact with her as much. But generally, yeah. generally, it takes him running from like over the entire circle of the console to pilot to pilot the thing um but yeah so i mean there was that 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 didn't i mean obviously that's just sort of machinations of 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 the thing at work but um the the telepathic field Mm -hmm. um you know that was interesting and and you know I, i i mean you got the sort of the 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 Douglas Adams, you know, the Babelfish. You know, it can mm-hmm. translate everything that right it, it, that it, people say. Like, it explains. I, it is the, it is the gimmick to explain why everyone speaks English. <laughs> that's um, it's that's why it is there. So so I mean, there like it's not it's not that big of a deal. I guess is kind of what you're saying. It's just right. It's it's just whatever. But but yeah, Rose has that moment of oh wait, you know you're entering right. my brain. No, and... I think the the Rose's objection to it is interesting and worth and worth noting that the idea that uh, that it gets that what she says it gets into my brain and changes my mind and you didn't even ask. Right. Um, so that's right. interesting. But in conception, that is why. That is there. That is the okay. reason the TARDIS can do that is to explain why everybody speaks English in all of. So even uh, even on Earth, people in other countries, like if they go to 
uh, ancient Rome, you know, they're all speaking English with English yeah. accents. Right. You're not you getting know. Latin. You're not getting, no, we have no language barriers in this show. Um, <laughs> so yeah. Same, yeah, exactly. Well, the, <laughs> as is the sonic screwdriver, which uh, has well, an amazing level of functionality. Well, I w- and I was going to say, but it, it there were a few parts here where it seemed sort of unreliable. Um, uh-huh. And and I don't is that is that sort of an ongoing? Um, thing That's an where... ongoing. I would say. I mean, the screwdriver was this Moffat who said that I can't remember who said this that the sonic screwdriver can do anything unless it's vital to the plot that it can't, and that's pretty <laughs> well, much. Well, it, yeah. So you, you get never, this, like... you never. I would not waste your time trying to look for consistencies in the sonic <laughs> screwdriver. It'll do what the doctor says it can do unless it can't, in which case he's got to figure out something else. And yeah. it's better to just go along with the ride. Yeah. I so because you get the you get the sunscreen coming down from uh-huh. that, and then he reverses it, and yeah. then it doesn't down work again. again again. And so yeah, so there's all that, but then then there's also the he's like he, where he's like almost using it as like a laser pointer to right. try to get get the spider there, and then James just like yeah whatever I'm just gonna grab it yeah, <laughs> and so like yeah okay I mean so it's you're, kind you're, of like it's kind of like this the psychic paper a little bit there is an element of I think. At some point, someone says with the screwdriver, you just, uh, you point and think. So there's an element of it that it's technology, but it's also slightly psychic t- technology. That it, it, It's desire. <laughs> it's, it's, it's about, um, I guess there is a, there, I guess we are supposed to understand that there's something, it's not a wand. I mean, it's, there are things it can and can't do, but mm-hmm. what it can do, uh, is mostly what the doctor wants it to do. And it's about, so if he wants to use it as a laser pointer, he can, if he wants to use it as, you know, a pretty much any bit of technology, he can adapt it to, you know, to it's, you know, the needs of the situation. (laughs) Um, yeah, well, and then you brought up the slightly psychic paper, which was the other one I was going to mention. The, uh, yeah, just why only slightly? I don't okay. know. Like, That's the only time this. that I think they they say it slightly. Every other time, it's just the psychic paper. Oh, okay. I don't really know why we needed that. Yeah, it just it, it seemed like an it, yeah an extraneous uh, modifier yeah. there. Yeah. Uh, but uh, yeah, the, the, I, it, and it's kind of funny because they all yeah they they seem to all work in that sort of similar way. It's like. Uh, they're, they're, they're MacGuffins. They're there to, to help the plot along. Yeah, they're there to help the plot, but they're not necessarily super. Um, they're not there for the big ideas per se. Um, although, although with, they might. I would say of the three, um, that is true for the screwdriver and the paper, not okay. for the TARDIS. Okay, so um, the TARDIS is more. I integral. would invest more thought into what the TARDIS is and what it can and can't do. I would stop right now any line of thought about uh, the screwdriver, but, (laughs) um, but if you're thinking about what the TARDIS is and what its capabilities are, I would keep thinking in that direction. Okay. 
that's all I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, sort of along the same lines then, is there any rhyme or reason to the dating system? The, no. The 5.5 slash Apple slash 26? Okay. Nope. Nope. All right. So, so another thing that I should just not No worry. idea what the Apple is referencing is if that meant, if that's meant to be A as opposed to another letter right. of the alphabet well, or I don't know. I have no and, idea. And, and then they also mentioned the peace treaty, the 5.4 cup 16, like, <laughs> I, which I'm assuming is a date, you know, a peace treaty right. of that yeah, date. Yeah. Um, but so you're saying that. Okay. No. All right. That, no. So sometimes, the, the, these, sometimes these they answers. give a little bit of continuity. Like they might want to set an episode in a similar time period to a previous one. So they'll re- reference the date so that you know, oh, it's a hundred years after whatever that episode was. And so you kind of have an idea of where you are and in time and space, but for the most part, uh, pretty random. So it's not a rigor, rigorously, no, no. you know, worked out. Sort no, of no, no, no. It's not like star dates or something. Right? It is absolutely not. No. <laughs> I mean, you're talking about, uh, how many dozens of writers working over 50 years. Yeah. I mean, that's not true even in the new show. I mean, I don't even want to think about continuity of dating with the old show. Right. But even within New Who, um, yeah, I think go along. As far as the history is concerned, you can kind of go along for the ride a little bit. Yeah, okay. Well... I mean, I think we've hit all the points that I wanted to make. What what, what else uh, did you want to... Oh, well, I, sorry. No, we didn't. The songs. <laughs> the, two, the two songs. The two classic, you know, songs that yeah. we get. Um, again, I, you know, I don't, I don't want to make a lot of this. I, you know, I know the songs were, were sort of chosen to be humorous, tainted love. The, you know, this one hit wonder from... Um, a band, you know, soft cell that nobody even really knows about anymore. And then, um, toxic by Britney Spears. We, we get these, you know, again, these sort of classic songs, but I, I was intrigued a little cause, cause one, the, you know, thematically the two songs are, are somewhat similar. They're about this, you know, these, these desired loves that aren't good for the person desiring them. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you, like I couldn't help but feel that they were almost sort of metaphorically directed at Rose. You, you, you know, you get the line from Tainted Love. Sometimes I've got to run away. I've got to get away. And, mm-hmm. and then, you know, um, she 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 has that whole conversation where she's talking with uh, uh, Rufalo. Is yeah. that the name mm-hmm. of the the, the plumber yeah, the, alien? The blue maintenance worker. Yeah. Um, where Rose says, you know, I just, I sort of just sort of hitched this ride with this man. And like, as she's saying it, she's realizing how bad of an idea this really is, maybe. <laughs> like, I don't even know who he is. He's a complete stranger. And, and so, you know, again, I don't want to make too much of it, but it just seemed like, like there was something there, like, like mm-hmm. talking about, you know, kind of her, um, her having done this, that, that she's chosen to go with his doctor, but, but she's really questioning this decision. And, and of course, by the end, um, the very end, you know, the doctor asks her, you know, do you want to go home? You know, are are you done with me now at this point, now that you've seen how dangerous this can be? Mm-hmm. And, and she legitimately doesn't know. Mm-hmm. And, and I, so, you know, um, 
Like, well, then again, you, you get the line from Toxic. A, a guy like you should wear a warning. <laughs> you yeah. know, like going back to that whole idea of the doctor, the the constant companion there being death. Yeah. Um, you know, again, these are humorous songs, but I, I, I do think they were sort of reinforcing that idea of this isn't just a joyride, right? right. You know, this isn't, this isn't just... Um, Rose going off on her little adventure or the doctor even, you know, Mm -hmm. you you, you get kind of that idea of, you know, oh, he's got sort of a, maybe a glamorous life of being able to go anywhere he wants and do whatever he wants. But no, he, he seems to be tied to some kind of purpose or reason for, for having all of this travel, even though he may not always know what it is, or even though, um, you know, it may sort of come upon him. It may find him rather than him finding it. Mm-hmm. Um, but there does seem to be something something deeper going on here. And it, it and I just I, I was in, intrigued because I thought these songs did point to that um, at yeah, least a definitely. little bit. You, you know, beyond the 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 humor of them yeah. being classic songs of them being classic. Right? No, <laughs> definitely. I mean, I think definitely in this first episode, she's sort of you know at the end being asked, you know, do you want to go home and having to think about, you know, the fact that is, this is, I mean, physically dangerous, um, and really painful too. I mean, I think as much as Mm. the fact that I almost died is the fact that, is the fact that I just watched my planet be destroyed. And I know that that's going to happen someday and I've got to go back and, live with that knowledge. Um, and, and that's kind of, that's a painful thing to be aware of. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, and it's that idea that the young are invincible because she's, she's a young woman. She right. doesn't have any expectation of dying, but she does come to that realization of everybody I know is dead, including my mom, including yeah. um, everyone, you know, yeah. except, except me. But then actually technically I'm I'm kind of dead too at this point in time. So yeah, it's, it's it's that being faced with your own mortality that, that really. Yeah. Well, I think uh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Um, so what else did you have Um, that we didn't cover already? Well, we're almost out of time, but let me see if there's anything I want to mention. I think we got to I think we got to all my major points. No, I think I think we're good. Okay. Well then, I guess we will say goodbye for this week and we'll we'll talk to you again next week when we're looking at uh episode 3 of each of these each of these programs. Thank you. Have a have a good week. All right. See you next time. Cat and Kurt's TV Review is copyright 2013, Catherine Sass and Curtis Wyant. Please find us at kctvreview.wordpress.com or on Facebook or Twitter at kctvreview.